Welcome to the Time Machine Talk Show. Here's your host, Miss Ziegler. Welcome back to the Time Machine Talk Show. In this edition, we'll be talking about the Greeks. It's on page 122 of your Ways of the World textbook. Keep in mind as you're turning to that page that you are answering your reading questions for this week. And the very first reading question asks you about the differences between Persia and the Greeks. So keep in mind as we read this to look for those differences and to notate them in your notes. So here we go. It says, it would be hard to imagine a sharper contrast than that between the huge and centralized Persian Empire, governed by an absolute and almost unpredictable monarch, and the small competing city-states of classical Greece, which allowed varying degrees of popular participation in political life. That very sentence right there helps you to start answering your question, because it basically narrows down exactly what the Persian Empire was like. It was centralized with their government. It was governed by an absolute monarch. And in contrast, the Greeks were small competing city-states, which means that they did not have a centralized government. And that allowed for varying degrees of participation in the political life. So right there, you have one big difference that you need to put down in your notes. I'm gonna continue reading. Like the Persians, the Greeks were an Indo-European people whose early history drew on the legacy of the first civilizations. The classical Greece of historical fame emerged around 750 BCE as a new civilization and flourished for about 400 years before it was incorporated into a successful, sorry, a succession of foreign empires. During that relatively short period, the civilization of Athens and Sparta, of Plato and Aristotle, of Zeus and Apollo took shape and collided with its giant neighbor to the east. Calling themselves Hellenes, the Greeks created a civilization that was distinctive in many ways, particularly in comparison with the Persians. Ding, 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 pay attention to this because right here they're going to tell you how it was different than the Persians. So here we go, first point. The total population of Greece and the Aegean Basin was just 2 million to 3 million, a fraction of that of the Persian Empire. So it was smaller than the Persian Empire. Furthermore, Greek civilization took shape on a small peninsula deeply divided by steep mountains and valleys. Its geography certainly contributed to the political shape of that civilization, which found expression not in a Persian-style empire, but in hundreds of city-states and small settlements. So check out this map right down here. It's on the same page, on page 123, as what we were just reading. And you can see how it's just broken up. Nothing is really close to each other. And because of the terrain, it was very difficult to get from one place to the other. And so they couldn't really have this vast centralized government because of that reason. All right, we're going to keep reading. Um, most were quite modest in size and with between 500 and 5,000 male citizens. But Greek civilization took its counterparts elsewhere, also left a decisive environmental mark on the lands it encompassed. Smelting metals such as silver, lead, copper, bronze, and iron required enormous supplies of wood, leading to deforestation and soil erosion. 
Plato declared that the area around Athens had become a mere relic of the original country. All the rich soil has melted away, leaving a country of skin and bone. So you can also put this down in your notes that the Greeks really were hard on their environment because they were smelting, smelting metals, sorry, that's a hard word to say, smelting metals such as silver, lead, copper, bronze, iron. I would put some examples down. And then talk about the fact that they that caused deforestation and soil erosion. That's an important point to remember about Greece. Okay, so we'll probably still be adding more to your first question, but I want you to also pay attention to your second question, which is how did semi-democratic governments emerge in some of the Greek city-states? That's going to be answered here pretty soon. So let's keep reading. We're on page 124. Each of these city-states was fiercely independent and in frequent conflict with its neighbors, yet they had much in common, speaking the same language and worshiping the same gods. Every four years, they temporarily suspended their continual conflicts to participate together in the Olympic Games, which had begun in 776 BCE. But this emerging sense of Greek cultural identity did little to overcome the endemic political rivalries of the larger city-states, including Athens, Sparta, Thebes, and Corinth, among many others. In your first question, it talked about the values of the Greeks versus the Persians. You could put something in there about how they all spoke the same language, they worshiped the same gods, they celebrated the Olympic Games. That would cover Greece, and then we'll find something later on to compare it to with Persia. Ah, let's look in the next paragraph. Maybe that'll answer our question. It says, like the Persians, the Greeks were an expansive people. But their expansion took the form of settlement in distant places rather than conquest and empire. So that's an important difference right there. Basically what that means is that the Greeks and the Persians were both expansive in how far they reached, how far their empires reached. But the Greeks did it in form of settling the land, whereas Persians did it in form of conquesting other peoples. So it's a little bit different. All right, let's keep going on. It says, pushed by a growing population, Greek traders in search of iron and impoverished Greek farmers in search of land stimulated a remarkable immigration. Between 750 and 500 BCE, the Greeks established settlements all around the Mediterranean basin and the rim of the Black Sea. Settlers brought Greek culture, language, and building styles to these new lands even as they fought, traded, and intermarried with their non-Greek neighbors. I want you to notice something here. That very first sentence, the topic sentence, that talks about, uh, it says, like the Persians, the Greeks were an expansive people, but their expansion took the form of settlement in distant places rather than conquest and empire. If you don't understand that sentence, but you keep reading the paragraph, you can pretty much figure out what that sentence means, right? Because it talks about how the Greeks were in search of land and they were in search of iron. And so therefore they moved around and they settled in new places. And that's what's really cool about knowing this uh, reading strategy is to look at the topic sentence. If you don't understand it, keep reading the details and connect it with the topic sentence and it will help you figure it out. You can clearly see what it means by establishing settlements versus conquest by the fact of, that you're reading all of that information that goes with the paragraph. All right, so the next 
paragraph, let's keep going. It says, the most distinctive feature of Greek civilization and the greatest contrast with Persia lay in the extent of popular participation in political life that occurred within at least some of the city-states. It was the idea of citizenship, of free people managing the affairs of state, of equality for all citizens before the law. That was so unique. A foreign king observing the operation of the public assembly in Athens was amazed that male citizens as a whole actually voted on matters of policy. I found it astonishing, he noted, that here wise men speak on public affairs while fools decide them. Compared to the rigid hierarchies, inequalities, and absolute monarchies of Persia and other ancient civilizations, the Athenian experiment was remarkable. So, that's another big difference that you can put down for your first question. Athenians and in that Greek city-state had the right to vote, whereas Persia was an absolute monarchy. We're going to continue with our secondary document from a modern scholar. It says, among the Greeks, the question of who should reign arose in a new way. Previously, the most that had been asked was whether one man or another should govern, and whether one alone or several together. But now the question was whether all the citizens, including the poor, might govern, and whether it would be possible for them to govern as citizens, without specializing in politics. In other words, should the governed themselves actively participate in politics on a regular basis? The extent of participation and the role of citizens varied considerably, both over time and from city to city. So, pay attention to this. This might answer question number two. How did semi-democratic uh, governments emerge in some of the Greek city-states? So, here we go. Early in Greek history, only wealthy and well-born men had the rights of full citizenship such as speaking and voting in the assembly, holding public office and fighting in the army. Gradually, men of lower classes, mostly small-scale farmers, also obtained these rights. At least in part, this broadening of political rights was associated with the growing number of men able to afford the armor and weapons that would allow them to serve as hoplites, or infantrymen, in the army of the city-states. In many places, strong but benevolent rulers known as tyrants emerged for a time, usually with the support of the poorer classes, to challenge the prerogatives of the wealthy. Sparta, famous for its extreme form of military discipline and its large population of lots, conquered people who lived in slave-like conditions, vested most political authority in its council of elders. The council was composed of 28 men over the age of 60, derived from the wealthier and more influential segment of society, who served for life and provided political leadership for Sparta. It was in Athens that the Greek experiment in political participation achieved its most distinctive expression. So note here that Sparta and Athens are two different city-states, and they're both very different. Here we go. Early steps in this direction were the product of intense class conflict, leading almost to civil war. A reforming leader named Solon emerged in 594 BCE to push Athenian politics in a more democratic direction, breaking the hold of a small group of aristocratic families. Debt slavery was abolished, access to public office was open to a wider group of men, and all citizens were allowed to take part in the assembly. Later, reformers such as Cleisthenes and Pericles extended the rights of citizens even further. 
By 450 BCE, all holders of public office were chosen by lot and were paid, so that even the poorest could serve. The assembly, where all citizens could participate, became the center of political life. So for your question number two, they're asking about how semi-democratic governments emerged from Greek city-states. Right there was your answer in that paragraph about Athens, where it says, uh, Salon emerged and pushed Athenian politics in a more democratic direction by basically having a class conflict. So you can summarize that for your question number two. Then if we go on, it says, Athenian democracy, however, was different from modern democracy. It was direct rather than representative. Democracy, and it was uh, distinctively limited. Women, slaves, and foreigners together, far more than half of the population, were wholly excluded from political participation. Nevertheless, political life in Athens was a world away from that of the Persian Empire and even from that of many other Greek cities. So their political life in Athens was semi-democratic and it was completely different than all the other city-states as well as Persia. That's why it's so difficult to compare Greece as a whole to anything because the city-states were so different in a lot of ways. And since we just read it, if you want to add to your notes some of the differences between Sparta and Athens, that would be a good idea because that might come up on a test at some point. And that concludes this week's edition of the Time Machine Talk Show. Tune in to the next one for Alexander the Great.